Good morning. Welcome to chapel on this beautiful morning. Um, I'm really excited uh, to hear from our guests this morning. Um, I'm going to learn something new today, and hopefully so are all of you, um, which is always a good, good thing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open us uh, with scripture and a prayer. Um, again, when I find that my words are no longer sufficient, I tend to go to the Psalms. Um, and recently, just for my own personal benefit, I picked up a very tiny little version of um, the message, uh, which occasionally I just love. I love the way Eugene Peterson writes. It's, he's, his words are incredible. Um, and this one really struck me uh, this week, and it's one we all know, um, but I, I love the way he, he phrases it. Um, and this is uh, Psalm 23. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Heavenly Father, um, this time and this place is for you. Would you open our ears and our hearts that we may hear and love you more? Amen. So we are excited today to have Sandy Beelan and her team, Sandy Beelan Cook and her team, uh, with us today uh, to talk about what they do and how they serve InterVarsity and our staff. Um, fun fact about Sandy, uh, when she lived in Haiti, her main mode of transportation was a motorcycle. And I've got lots of stories, <laughs> like flipping over my head. Um, but we won't tell that now. We're delighted to be with you this morning. Um, Roger's comment when we were um, talking about this day is, well, you should do a chapel so they know what you're doing. So that is why we're here. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about, um, you can put the, the slide up. Let me tell you a little bit about, oh, I can do it. <laughs> I, okay, but, but Mimi helped me, so that's good. I always missed that part of it. I was talking to someone. Uh, <laughs> Um, really, this goes back to Shannon Marion, um, when he was National Field Director of the Midwest Cluster, and he saw that there was some, shall we say, older senior staff who their responsibilities were not fitting into the categories in terms of the different regions, and actually were doing things across the region. And so he um, started to, how do we use these, the gifts of our senior staff? And so he started Mark Slaughter and Rick Manson, both about the same time. They were doing evangelism, and they were traveling to different parts of the region, doing um, <clears throat> week of harvest meetings, um, training students and staff, doing evangelistic preaching, and that was growing. So those were the first two um, hires. So let me... Uh, and when now, what we now have is a team of six that's up here. And as we talked about it, and we started talking about how many years we've been on staff, we thought it'd be more impressive to tell you that it's been 175 years for the six of us total that we've been on staff. 
And if we add, in addition to that, the years of ministry, or we're way over 200 years of ex mission, ministry experience, so that's the team. Now, if some of you are probably thinking, huh, Midwest cluster, that doesn't exist. <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> um, so we're cluster coordinators in an entity that doesn't exist. And so, like a lot of people, we're in transition and a holding pattern for this next year until we figure out if there's other places that maybe the movement would want us, and we're hoping that's going to be true. Um, but that's our tra transition. So. Um, Mark is the first person, so Mark, you want to stand up, and he's going to talk a little bit more um, later. <coughs> Mark's um, specialty is obviously evangelism, communicating. He has done a lot of training of students on campus in harvest events, speaking at our chapter focus weeks. Um, but I think where he's really grown in the last, and part of what he's doing now, is a lot of mentoring of young evangelists and networking externally with organizations like the Zahn um, Committee. So that's Mark, and he'll talk more about what he's doing. The second person is Rick, who, um, oh, what I also wanted to say about Mark. Um, he was an assistant campus pastor at Taylor University before he came on staff, and he's probably the first person who came on staff as a, um, an evangelist specialist in the Great Lakes West region. And then Rick um, what came on staff. I think he was involved with the university, but I, he's not here. He's on sabbatical. And he's writing a book, but right now he and his wife are in Italy celebrating their 35 years of marriage. So we gave him a pass and hope that he's um, doing well. He had his laptop computer stolen, so that was kind of a, so you can pray for that. Um, but Rick is also doing a lot of teaching and um, speaking evangelistic around campus. He does a lot of sit-downs with students. And what amazes me about Rick is every year he has stories of a group of atheist students at different places that he's engaging with, and skeptics, and they're coming to faith. So Mark has written a book, Faith is Like Skydiving, and what he's doing on a sabbatical is writing a second um, book called Find Your Story. And I actually have a little pamphlet here. Um, but what he wants is he has interviewed lots of students who are atheists and came to faith from very different, diverse backgrounds. And the idea is that you're going to be able to give students a story and say, find your story. And so they'll follow what were the steps of a person who didn't believe in that you God even existed in coming to faith. So that is Rick. Um, Mary Beth Lundgren was the next person um, hired. <laughs> Mary Beth um, worked for 21 years in corporate America with AT&T, and then she was certified in pastoral care, and she worked at a local church in Indianapolis um, doing pastoral care. Now, she came to Madison after she met Jim, and she moved here when they got married and started. Um, Shannon, again, talked with Mary Beth, found out what her background was, and said, well, we have young staff who need discipling and soul care. So he hired her as a soul care specialist. And Mary Beth will also tell us a little bit more about what she's doing. Then he now had three people in the cluster he was supervising besides everything else he was doing. So as I moved out of the regional director role, and I was actually a student with university as well, and had, I, mean, I think I've done every job <laughs> up until RD with university. Um, he said, Sandy, how would you like to supervise this team? I went, I'm not really. I, I think I did that, but I lost. So I, I have been super, you know, it's been a delight um, supervising this team. 
But my dream as I left the RD job is I had so many young staff, millennials, who came to me with year two or three and said, what's next for me in the university? Or why haven't you asked me to be an area director yet? And I realized we weren't answering that question well. And so I really, my whole purpose is how do I get millennials? As all people like me that boomers are leaving at some point, we will leave. I want you to know that. Um, <laughs> are leaving, how are they going to be ready to have the, the transfer of tacit knowledge and skills so they can take on the university? And when I say to them, as I recruit them to this year-long cohort, we do some training, they do a stretch assignment, and then Roger and I are mentoring them month by month, is my hope is that you lead the next 75 years of university into the future. So that's my hope and what I'm doing. Roger um, was was at the University of Delaware as a, a student, um, chapter president there, and then has had a number of different um, positions in university as well, more than me. Um, the last being a national field director. And so he said, I don't need to speak because they know me. And he, Roger is doing spiritual direction both in the cluster as well at the, as the National Service Center. And the last is Lena sanchez Ross. She came a year ago to our team. She's also doing spiritual formation in the cluster. Um, and then she's working part-time or half her time with Orlando Crespo and mentoring and spiritual direction with some LaFay staff. You can pray for her. She's not here. Um, Wilson has had a back problem, and they're going back to Columbia to get some treatment. So that will not be an easy trip. So that's our team, and that's what we're doing. And I think the last thing I would say is I think it's been wonderful because we have older staff with experience, and we've been able to invest in the next generation. And um, I hope there's a place for that in the future with the university. It's my little political plug. <laughs> So good morning. Uh, like Sandy said, I'm Mary Best, and I send greetings for my husband, Jim, who um, went through ankle fusion surgery on February 23rd. So is Scott Wilson here? I don't know. You've probably seen Scott going around on his little knee scooter, and my husband has one of those, too. So he sends his greetings, and hopefully we'll be back to visit and see everybody as soon as he's able to be a little more mobile. So as the um, slide up here says, I do soul care. I also do, we call it staff care or discipleship as well. It's kind of several names to it. But the primary responsibility of my ministry is to meet with IV staff in the role of pastoral care. And people often ask me how that differs from what spiritual directors do. And I'd say that staff care differs from spiritual direction in its purest form with staff care having a stronger teaching and accountability component. Although Roger and I were talking about this yesterday, there's a lot of overlap in what we do and the lines are often fuzzy. I've spent time mostly with collegiate ministry staff in the Midwest, but I also have had the opportunity to serve others here at the NSC and across the country. Typically, staff contact me directly about starting to meet, and all I ask is that they let their supervisor know that we're meeting together. However, everything we talk about is kept confidential, except in the rare case that something disclosed needs to be shared with someone legally, and that's never happened in my five years in this job. I especially love meeting with younger staff, those in their 20s and 30s. Maybe that it keeps me young. I know that Sandy used the word senior staff, so I think that really means older staff. Um, and I love to hear the life stories of these younger staff and to be able to have a front row seat to what God is doing in their lives. As many of you know, vocational ministry can be draining, it can be isolating, it can be demanding, even though it is fulfilling and exciting, right? 
I love that I have the privilege of coming alongside staff and with the help of the Holy Spirit, infusing the hope of the gospel back into their hearts and minds. So if I can use this, I'm going to go ahead to one slide. So my goal for the staff that I meet with is threefold. First of all, that they may have a renewed commitment to living for the glory of God, no matter what their life circumstances are. Secondly, that they will have minds and hearts that are renewed by the truth of scripture with an emphasis on living into their primary identity in Christ. And thirdly, that they will bear much fruit as they abide in Christ and live out their faith, not only in ministry, but in all aspects of their lives, their personal lives and their ministry. The biblical example of Paul and Timothy has been an inspiration to my ministry role, and it's believed that Timothy may have heard about Jesus during Paul's first missionary journey. The Lord used Paul's proclamation of the gospel to bring Timothy to a saving knowledge of the truth. I want to take a look at one verse that sums up what I'd like to imitate about Paul's discipleship and what I want to model as I meet with staff. Although my formal role in IV may not be your formal role, God tells us that the Great Commission is every believer for every believer to make disciples. And so I'd encourage you to think of those people in your sphere of influence who might be your Timothys. It's from 2 Timothy 2.2, and in the NIV it says, And the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I also like the amplified version because it goes on to say the things, the doctrine, the precepts, the admonitions, the sum of my ministry, which you have heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses, entrust as a treasure, I love that, to reliable and faithful people who will also be capable and qualified to teach others. So if we first look at the beginning words of this verse, it says, and the things you've heard me say or teach in the presence of many witnesses. What are these things that Paul has said and taught that he refers to here? Well, certainly the first and foremost is the gospel message itself, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that if we confess with our mouths that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But if you look at the amplified version of the verse, discipleship, I think, goes beyond the basic gospel message to include all of the truths and precepts of the Bible. Staff requests to meet with me for many different reasons. In each situation, I continue to see how very practical the scriptures are and that God has given them to us for all matters of life and godliness. So I just want to give you a few examples of the situations I've walked staff through and the Bible's, what I'd say, accurate and very practical diagnosis of the human heart in each one. First of all, I've seen the scriptures speak to conflict. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in conflict through work and ministry. I sure have. And James 4, I think, gives a good diagnosis of the human heart. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. What an accurate picture of what goes on in our hearts as we are in conflict with others. What is it that the heart is wanting so much that it is willing to sin to get it? Wanting to be right rather than to be righteous? Wanting comfort and ease or maybe respect more than being willing to die to itself for the sake of God and others? 
Here's another example. The scriptures speak to worry and anxiety. I won't go through this whole verse. I know this passage is one you're familiar with, Philippians 4, 6 through 9, but it does tell us to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on to tell Christians what to think on, and again, to practice these things, a practical thing to do, and then the peace of God will be with you. So fear and anxiety are common temptations for all of us, right? What a comfort that this short passage is so practical. Put off anxiety, put on thankful prayer. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? Four short verses with two promises of supernatural peace. And a third example, this is my final one, is the scriptures speak to dwelling too much on what others think about us. Who hasn't fallen into this trap? If we're honest with ourselves, most of us would admit that the desire for the praise of people can often be the ruling desire of our hearts. Thankfully, God's word has divine solutions for our greatest needs. I love Proverbs 29.25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. And then Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please, please people, I would not be a servant of God. I've seen firsthand how the ministering of God's word into a person's life can bring peace, joy, and healing. And I believe this is part of the all things that Paul refers to in 2 Timothy 2.2. The second phrase in this verse is entrust to reliable people. Paul spent a lot of his time and energy investing in Timothy because he heard of Timothy's reputation and he saw someone who was a devout, committed, and teachable follower of Jesus. I have to say this is one of the things I love most about my ministry role. I worked on staff at a local church, as Sandy said earlier, and oftentimes I would meet with people that it was really difficult to teach when they really didn't want to receive. And when I came on staff and began working with our staff, I told people I used to work with, I am working with the cream of the crop now. People bring notebooks to take notes, open their Bibles, eager, eager um, learners. InterVarsity staff have already proven themselves to be serious, reliable, and devoted followers of Jesus through their commitment to serve in full-time vocational ministry. So it is such a privilege to get to minister the word of God into these lives. And finally, the last words of this verse, who will also be qualified to teach others. So the goal of Paul's investment in Timothy and others was not to stop with Timothy. It was to equip him to minister to and equip others. And this is the multiplication that every believer is to be involved in. My greatest joy in caring for staff is when I hear that they're sharing with their students what God is teaching them in their own lives and ministries. So as I close, I'd like to share an encouragement with you. I think often as vocational ministry workers, we can be under a false assumption that we should have our acts completely together. After all, we're the ones helping others to know about and grow in Christ, right? Thankfully, God has promised each of us that he will faithfully complete the good work that he's begun in our lives over a lifetime. We'll be completely changed when we arrive in heaven. This story I'm about to share will hopefully illustrate that a person who is really struggling personally but is willing to engage those struggles can absolutely be the kind of faithful Christian that Paul is encouraging Timothy to be.
My story is about a staff worker that I met with who I will call Betsy. For confidentiality, this isn't her real name, and a few details are changed for her privacy. Betsy appeared to be a confident woman in her late 30s, happily married, extroverted, great with students on campus, and a very devoted follower of Jesus. She was the area director for her large campus and two other smaller campuses, all with quite large and growing IV chapters. She was looked up to by the younger campus ministers on her team. Her supervisor had nothing but praise for her work. On the outside, Betsy seemed to have it all together, a successful ministry role, a loving husband, and two small children. But on the inside, unknown to those even closest to Betsy was something quite different. Inside was a fearful and overwhelmed woman with a giant fear of failure. She feared that the older members of her team were critical of her leadership. She felt like an imposter in some ways. If people knew her weaknesses and areas where she still needed to grow, they would have never promoted her to her current role as area director. She felt overwhelmed by the number of plates she had spinning in the air at any given time. You can't relate to any of that, right? And if one of those plates were to come crashing down, that would only confirm her fears that truly she was a failure. She feared that her supervisor would be terribly disappointed if she didn't accomplish more and more success with her chapters in the upcoming school year. Betsy was the proverbial people pleaser. By the time I first met with Betsy, she was struggling with deep discouragement and was on the verge of leaving her ministry. As she began to share her situation with me, it became apparent that she had fallen into a common temptation to the human heart. People had become Betsy's idol. She needed their approval and felt that she would despair if someone had less than a glowing opinion of her. She had placed her hope in what people thought of her, and indeed, it had become a trap in her life. As we met together regularly, she began to see this trap more and more. She received hope from the scriptures as she saw that the temptation that had seized her was a common one to all people. She believed that God would provide a way of escape because of his faithful love for her. We parked for a long while on a passage in Jeremiah 17 that contrasts the human heart that puts its trust in people to the human heart that places its trust and hope in God. If you recall that passage, the word picture for the heart that trusts in people is a dried up parched shrub in the desert. And the word picture for the heart that trusts in God is a green luscious tree planted by water. This word picture really resonated with Betsy. Through prayer and meditation on this passage, Betsy began to renew her mind on the freedom that comes with choosing to put her hope in God alone. And as she tasted more of this freedom, she began to actually experience joy again in her ministry and her relationships in general. I've not spoken to Betsy in a while, but in my last conversation with her, I saw a different Betsy. I saw a joyful woman, confident in her God, and serving him faithfully in campus ministry. Not perfectly, but faithfully. Betsy is an example of why I love to do what I get to do. To God be the glory. Thanks for letting me share with you. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you today as colleagues and friends. Amen? Now I hear you. That's right. This has been an important year for me personally, a year of reflection on the past, the present, and the future. Forty years ago this coming fall, the Lord opened the door for me to preach my first sermon. 
And that morning, three people came to faith in Jesus. The day my grandfather died of a sudden heart attack when he was planning to be there. And as Grandpa died, our ministry was born. I began to sense the calling of God as an evangelist, but I didn't dare name that word because there's some weird ones of those. <laughs> and no thinking, respectable person would consider being one, but God in his providence brought people into my life to encourage that at every step of the journey. If you want the backstory, I'll tell it to you privately or on the side. But, but eventually, after seminary, after serving at Taylor, being a pastor, I, I just sensed the Lord called me as an evangelist. I love to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And eventually he led me to Indianapolis, where I met Don Fields. And Don, who just passed away a couple of months ago, uh, invited me to come and serve as an evangelism specialist for Indiana so we could train and speak and mobilize in Indiana. And I declined that to become a pastor. That was the path to be able to meet Don, and he became a mentor and a spiritual father to me. And then to my wife, Joanne, uh, my wife Dawn met with his wife, Joanne, and they became like second parents. And eventually Don said to me as I asked him, where can I fit as an evangelist? I'm a pastor, but I'm longing to speak. And he said, well, don't forget InterVarsity. And if those of you who know him can hear him say that, where did I put those materials? And Don said, Mark, would you come on staff? Give me a three-year commitment. Watch out for those. <laughs> it's been 27, 28 years now by God's grace. It's been a journey. And I'm thankful the Lord, to the Lord for Don and InterVarsity for making space for this guy that didn't fit into organizational charts. And still doesn't in many ways. The verse that real oh, I wanted to show you this picture. So there's my dear friend and mentor that went to be with the Lord this year and our family. And I owe a lot to Don and to Joanne. The verse that really is my operative verse in my own life and ministry is really John 15:5 in this season. I want to abide in Christ and abound in fruit. In that verse, I see that I want to not lose my passion for Jesus in the midst of even missional activity, but I want to be, keep Jesus central, who often sometimes gets marginalized even in the church in our mission. Jesus is the hope of the world. But as I abide in him and his love for me, it does say we will bear fruit. And my fruitfulness, I want in our evangelistic ministry, that's how I share of the life that Jesus is inviting you to. I'll share that in evangelism. I'll share it in mentoring to high-capacity leaders. We need to abide that we might abound. That integrated life of spiritual formation and evangelism and mission, flowing one from another, back and forth. I say I like to give my life to young men and young women of ethnically aged geographical diversity that are, God is raising up that could indeed uh, be attentive to their inner life, yet fiercely missional without the unhealthy drivenness. So in my role with InterVarsity, I serve in these three areas. I communicate the gospel on campuses and beyond in churches and conferences. I'm, I mentor emerging evangelists and communicators and evangelism leaders. And then increasingly, through gifts of friendship God has given over the years, I partner and tell the InterVarsity story and represent our best practices to those outside of InterVarsity in the Christian world. I want to share three words of encouragement of just how God has been working and how you are part of this. First of all uh, is in evangelism in the communicating area. The gospel, I want to say this one clear statement, the gospel of the kingdom of God is being demonstrated and proclaimed on college campuses with love and grace. 
One of the things I do on college campuses is called question mark. It's ask mark. It's an open, safe place for your real questions about God. And this was in a fraternity, in a sorority house or in a dining hall where Christians bring their non-Christian friends and they, they bring their real questions. Both, and I respond to both the head and to the heart of what's driving that question. Uh, the questions that we all have. I say I'm asking some of the same questions. We're on level playing ground. But what would a Christian say to that? Recently, I was at Rose Holman Institute of Technology and um, the Eggles, John Eggleston's alma mater there. I hear an amen in the corner. <laughs> and uh, we had a packed room with two-thirds of the people there were not from InterVarsity. Uh, the there was a buzz in the room. Questions were real. They were authentic. And in the process of that, people saw and heard about Jesus in ways that were attractive and winsome. Following that, I stayed an hour, one-on-one, -on -one, to talk with people. We had a Hindu. Then I talked to a Muslim. Then I talked to a guy self-identified as an agnostic. Talked to someone about human sexuality. And that was just in that hour, one-on-one, -on -one, as the students then followed up those people. The Lord is at work at proclaiming um, the gospel of the kingdom on campus. And we can praise God for that. I, I've, the last nine months have been a sacred journey as I've been on three continents and have, have listened to what God is doing around the world. One of those was in Great Britain with our, our partners there and was part of a university mission with Lindsey Brown and Michael Green uh, and was able to learn from their model of how they are doing evangelistic, week-long evangelistic missions, 100 of them in Great Britain, 100 in Europe, with a goal of raising up 100 university evangelists in Europe, one, at least one per country. And their annual foyer conference uh, is hosted every year with Lindsay to be able to identify and equip and mobilize and mentor emerging men and women that are God's raising up. And that is, um, it was a delight to learn from them. One, I met with the, some of the French and Belgium um, leaders in, on the continent, and I said, I've, I've come to learn from you. The global church has so much to teach us about engaging in a postmodern, post-Christian world with the gospel. And one, one of them said, it's so refreshing to meet an American who came to learn <laughs> and to listen. And I said, we own that. We have really not been good partners often. But the gospel was being proclaimed there. And we saw men and women coming to Christ. This was a tent, of, tent on campus they erected for hospitality. And they had free lunch every day. And Lindsay and Michael Green would speak or uh, some of the other staff uh, they had 15 staff from around that came, and one spoke on, is the Bible sexist, and uh, are, don't all religions lead to God, and, and all these questions. And, but there was a welcoming place, and that literally became a tent of meeting in the middle of campus. Non, a non-Christian student said, I don't know why, but I'm drawn to this place this week. They felt so loved. So the gospel is being proclaimed. Um, secondly, though, God is raising up a new generation of evangelistic and missional communicators and evangelists. And I saw that there. It was, I was a privilege to be a mentor at the Younger Leader Gathering for Lausanne in, in August. We had 1,000 a, a young leaders under 40 years of age from 150 countries. And it was sacred ground to listen to their stories and what God is doing. But one thing that struck me was on every continent, as literally in one afternoon I would be meeting with someone from China, and from Southern Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Asia and Latin America, every continent, I heard someone say to me, they met with me because they felt called as an evangelist. Is God raising up a new generation of women and men that are diverse, that are called to proclaim in new ways? I think he is. After that, I was in France and Cairo and, and England, as I mentioned, heard some of the same stories from different networks of people 
that God is raising up. And this and InterVarsity, by the way, had a tremendous presence here at YLG and with Lausanne, as you know, and had so much um, leadership there. And I won't, I'll tell you more maybe privately. Um, and then um, the third thing I want to share is that God is indeed raising up not only a new generation of, of leaders, but he's also doing this in mentoring. Uh, he's... Um, uh, I was just came right now from the Leighton Ford from the Leighton Ford mentoring retreat. We had five. Uh, I was I was leading with Leighton and and Ann Grizzle and Mary Kate Morse and I were the leadership team, and we had 13 participants from four countries, but five of us were full time with InterVarsity. So we see Alec Hill and and uh, Lisa Espinelli Chin and Janet Belathy, uh, as well as a couple other former staff were there. Uh, to look at how do we mentor and bring the, the Leighton Ford mentoring, learn from them on our own mentoring within InterVarsity and beyond. Uh, so I'm literally coming down off of the, off of the mountain today um, from, uh, from that retreat in Virginia. But uh, thirdly, I want to just say God is using InterVarsity to bless the broader church. And, and, oops, and increasingly, we need to be able to, uh, to share our best practices and our story with and bless our partners and churches, Christian colleges, universities like that, uh, Christian networks, because I'm finding pastors and church leaders are so hungry to figure out how do we deal with these issues that you and I have been wrestling with for 10 to 15 years or more deeply. Issues of multi-ethnicity and diversity, uh, of women in ministry, of uh, justice, of evangelism in a postmodern world. Churches are hungry. Christian colleges are hungry. And we have some tremendous resources of people and ideas and practices that I'm finding a lot of interest in. So I'm very thankful to be able to represent that in my own sphere as I speak. And I love telling the, the decade of fruitfulness stories and what we have learned as I speak at conferences, at churches, and serve with Mission America Coalition, uh, the U.S. Lausanne Committee, and other, other networks. So I simply want to, to rejoice, for, to God be the glory. Just in my little corner of the world, I get to see where the gospel is being communicated. Younger leaders are being mentored and raised up, and we are privileged to bless the local church. Isn't that wonderful? Thank the Lord for that. So today I want to have a final word with you, my dear colleagues. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Together, because of you and your faithfulness, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is going forth on college campuses today. And together we're seeing that gospel demonstrated, lived out, reconciliation, justice happening because of what you do. Every spreadsheet, every report, every strategic plan is moving that gospel of the kingdom forward. Every difficult part of your job is by God's grace and his power leading men and women and students and faculty and administrators and staff to Jesus Christ. So when that computer screen gets so frustrating, don't forget about that student or that faculty person sitting on the campus because your work matters anyway, inherently, to God. But it matters to that person sitting on that campus. And we, People like me and our team who are mentoring and speaking, we could never do it. We didn't have someone dealing with compliance issues back here. I, trust me, you don't want me doing that. <laughs> but I want you doing it for the glory of God. Amen? Can we pray? Father, we thank you 
for what you have done and are doing here through this special movement of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And we're thankful we are part of a global church of women and men that you are using and raising up to be humble, spirit-led, spirit-filled leaders. And today I pray for each one of us that we might glorify and honor you in our work for your kingdom. And I pray that you would help us abide in you, in our personal challenges and in our professional ones here, that we might abound in fruit for your glory alone and that the Lord Jesus might be lifted up. In his name we pray. Amen.